Hello, friends. Welcome back to another episode of Theology in the Raw. Today's podcast episode is a recording of Jackie Hill Perry's talk at last year's Exiles in Babylon conference. Uh, this is a recording of uh, her talk, our subsequent couch conversation, and then both both her and I fielded some questions from the audience. It was, uh, as always, incredibly thoughtful, as Jackie Hill always is. If you would like to register for next year's Exiles in Babylon conference, you can go to theologyintheraw.com. All the info is there and space is filling up. So if you want to attend live in person, then I would do so sooner than later. Uh, otherwise, you can always attend virtually. Um, that will never fill up unless the internet breaks down for some reason. So please welcome back to the show, the one and only Jackie Hill Perry. I was commissioned to talk about the gospel in sexuality, and I think typically uh, the way people would approach that subject is to maybe uh, do some type of uh, theological dialogue about Leviticus and 1 Corinthians and Genesis 2 and 3 and all those things, and I think that's beautiful and helpful. But I think you already have that framework. Uh, and so what I come to do is actually to challenge and encourage you individually as sexual beings. Um, a week ago, I did a podcast interview with some really wonderful people. And, uh, oh, hey, girl. And uh, <laughs> one of them, the woo, um, <laughs> asked me a question. And it was something like, what helps you to keep going? And the question was in the context of sexuality, more specifically, how to keep resisting the pull that sexual sin can have on you. Year after year after year, how do you keep going? And in my brief time with you today, I'm going to ask you the same question with some evidence as to why you should keep going. Because this is the thing. We are humans made from and for God with a heart, a mind, and a body that feels all kinds of ways all of the time. And if you're anything like me, you discovered that pretty early in life. Discovered that your body has desires that seem to come out of thin air. Some of these desires were, we identified, they weren't too controversial. If you were a boy that liked a girl, depending on what kind of parents you had, if they weren't in the SBC, they might have thought it was cute. <laughs> he said, I'm disruptive, and I am. <laughs> if you were a girl that liked a boy, they might have thought it was terrifying. And if you were a girl or a boy that liked the same gender, they most likely didn't even know. But either way, it didn't take you too long in this world to experience what it was like to like someone or something. It took a long time for me to acknowledge my sexual desires because it, it's almost impossible to detach how we feel from what our culture thinks about it. So to feel was to remember how I was supposed to feel about what I felt, if that makes any sense. Meaning when I thought about liking a girl, I also thought about what the pastor said about it. Every time I wanted to watch porn, I was immediately and instantly reminded of this act as being shameful until I stopped caring. I stopped caring about what everybody else thought, so I did what I wanted to do. If I wanted to lust, I did. If I wanted to watch porn, I did. If I wanted to have sex with a girl or try it with a guy, I did until I met Jesus. But the thing is, that kind of hedonism is the air we breathe. Let you tell somebody that you're celibate to the glory of God and they'll look at you like you lost your mind. 
Why? Because the mission statement of the culture is do what thou wilt. Your body is yours, they'll say. You, you could do with it whatever you darn well please. We are sexual beings, so it's harmful to deny yourself anything pertaining to your sexual affections. And as much as we don't want to admit it, those arguments wear on us. Not mainly in regards to evangelism, but temptation. Because they are telling us what our flesh actually wants to believe. And I know for a fact. That the fight isn't merely about what the world believes about sexuality, but what we believe about it. Yes, we know that the body was made for the Lord and the Lord for the body. Yes, we know that we are to submit our bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God. But there are times when what you know still doesn't quench how you feel. And therein lies the tension that all Christians face. To let God and not the body have the final say on how we should live. So when I ask the question of what helps you keep going, this is the dilemma underneath that question. Perhaps this is the sin that so easily entangles, keeping us from running the race that is set before us. It is the fact that there is indeed a race that we are called to run, a race that will never be easy. And there are people in this room that are this close to quitting just because their body is tired of not getting what it wants. Before the writer of Hebrews started talking about running races and things, they described a bunch of folk that ran it before. Saints such as Noah, who built an ark because he feared God. Sarah, who received power to conceive because she considered God faithful. Abraham, who lived in a foreign land by faith because he was looking forward to a city built by God. Moses, who endured the anger of the king by seeing the God who is invisible. And I want you to notice two things. One, that everything they endured came with a cost. Two, that God was their primary focus. Consider Noah, who was told by God that he was about to destroy everybody except his family, that this salvation would, however, come by faith, and this faith would cause Noah to believe God and therefore proceed to build an ark, the ark that God told him to build. Meanwhile, everybody around Noah is having fun, enjoying their life. They were eating and drinking and getting married and doing Enneagram tests and <laughs> having CBD lattes. They, they, they just... They were having an easy existence. Noah, however, did not have the same luxury as the world around him. He was busy working to save his life. You don't think it took endurance for him to believe that God was telling him the truth? Especially when it seemed like nobody but him was concerned with judgment. You don't think he saw how relaxed everybody was and coveted it sometimes? Consider Moses, who left Egypt twice when he fled Midian and when God used him to deliver Israel. The text says that Moses forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king. Oh, what a cost it is to forsake the powerful and the luxury such power affords. Depending on where you live, it would be convenient to submit yourself to governing powers that legislate certain things regarding marriage, gender, and sexuality so as to enjoy the comfort of being able to keep your job, 
or your friends or your followers or the members in your church. It comes with a cost to forsake the kingdom of this world, knowing that there is wrath among humans for anyone who would dare say that God is Lord of the body. But despite, despite the cost, Moses endured his race by seeing the invisible God. Consider Sarah, who knew God promised to give her a son from her own womb, but who might not have realized that that was going to take a long time. Year after year, decade after decade, she had to deal with the reality that she would not and could not conceive apart from God's power. Listen, therefore, her faith in God had to include embracing God's sovereignty over her body and when he would allow it to function according to its design. Being a sexual being with his various desires can frustrate the holiest of saints. When obedience leaves you with unfulfilled longings, year after year, decade after decade. For some of us, celibacy is the call. For others, Marriage is, but both come with a cost. Because in both cases, there will always be unfulfilled desires. Why? Because sexuality is a part of our design, but it is not the ultimate aim of our design. The body was made for God, the God who Sarah believed to be faithful. There is a cost <laughs> for the faithful ones. But do you know what makes one embrace that cost? Do you know what help these saints keep going. Every single one of them didn't allow the cost of their obedience to distract them from the God they were obeying. Noah obeyed because he feared God. Moses endured by seeing the invisible God. Abraham looked forward to a city whose designer was God. Sarah considered the faithful God. This is in the text. This isn't some poetic iteration. No wonder why when we get to chapter 12, the writer doesn't deviate from the God-centric pattern he set forward in chapter 11. He shifts the conversation to his audience, making sure to reiterate who their attention should still be on. The text says, therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the rate that is set before us. How? Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. I started this whole thing by asking you, what helps you to keep going? But now I want to change it to who helps you to keep going? And the answer is Jesus. I don't know how you've been running, but if you're doing it with, with your focus on everything else but God, you're not going to finish. There is a real spiritual attack in the form of temptation that tells you that one way to endure sin is to sin. If there is sexual frustration in your marriage, some of us opt for adultery or pornography so as to deal with the constant disappointment or rejection. There are times when we entertain inappropriate friendships as a way to cope with our loneliness. And nobody knows because your friendship looks pure on the surface, but you know what it is. 
you know that the presence of this person calms you, brings you some identity, brings you a level of peace to the point that you no longer even seek God for. You just call them. It could be alcoholism. It could be even social media that all work as a numbing agent for our weary hearts. But as John said, I say to you, little children, keep yourselves from idols. This race will never be easy. But the sin that clings and the weight that hinders must be laid aside. Because whether you realize it or not, that sin and those hindrances is making your run harder. And I'm concerned that there is the possibility that some of us have actually ran that way for so long that we're not even running at all and we don't know it. May God soften every hardened heart and every seared conscience in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. The only way to run well is to look at God often. How? <laughs> we know this, don't we? But I'll remind you. There's this book <laughs> called the Bible. In it is 66 other books that all point to and describe and explain and exalt God. In ministry, it's typical that this book, the Bible, so quickly becomes a tool or a mere resource, but it is alive, it is a sword, it is a message, and it will speak to you a new thing with the same words. Read it to see his kindness. Read it to see his beauty. Read it to see his holiness. Read it to see his faithfulness. Read it to remember what he thinks about you. Read it to remember what he thinks about the world. Read it to remind yourself what has come before. Read it to remind yourself what is going to come. Read it to see Jesus. But not only that, you got to actually believe what it says. We have enough people in the church that are well equipped to handle a passage exegetically with no evidence of them living it historically. No wonder we have so many pastors that are abusive. We must believe the Bible. We must believe what God has said about himself as revealed in his son, or we will be no different than demons. Let me read to you what the writer of Hebrews said to folks, or said of folks that were able to do amazing things by faith. He said this, for time would fail me hmm, to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, of David and Samuel and the prophets who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. Women received back their dead by resurrection. Some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy. Wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. All of this was done by faith. And if you don't have any, ask God. God 
gives grace to the humble and living water to the thirsty. Prayer is what needy people do, so do it. Because you do know that Jesus understands what it's like to be you, right? He is both God and man. He was tempted in all respects, yet without sin. Remember that garden where Jesus spoke with God, sweat and blood dripping from his face. He, he got repetitive with the father and asked him three times if the cup could pass. And do you know what the father said? Nothing. But do you know what the father did? He sent an angel from heaven to strengthen him so he could do what? Endure. Even Jesus knows the cost of obedience. So what perfect person then is there to help you run your race if not the one who has already done it and excelled at it perfectly? In another place, the writer of Hebrews says this and then I'm done. Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace in our time of need. If you are honest, your time of need is always. You have need of endurance, my friends. Some of us have a long race ahead of us. Some of us have a short, short one. We just don't know. it. But however long the length and however difficult the journey, keep your eyes on Jesus. Everything in this world wants to distract you from Jesus. Even false teaching is an attempt to show you another Jesus so you don't see the right one. Keep your eyes on Jesus. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you. We thank you for your word. We thank you for your son. We thank you for your spirit. We thank you for the church. We thank you for truth. We thank you for a right mind. We thank you for a willing heart. We thank you, God, that you are so faithful as to remind us constantly of the truth. And so, God, I pray for humble hearts in this place, including mine, that we would want you, that we would delight in you, that we would take joy in you. I pray that we wouldn't even be distracted by all of the chaos within the church and make that that, that, that makes us think about you a certain kind of way. You are good always. You are always holy. You are always loving. You are always just. And so I pray, God, that you would strengthen us through the power of your spirit. I pray, God, that we would rest in the reality that to him who is able to keep us from falling and to present us faultless and blameless before his glorious presence with great joy. I pray for joy today. I pray that even in our weariness, that we would be okay, that we would have a smile, that we would be like Jesus, who for the joy that was set before him, he endured. I pray that we would look like you and love like you. In Jesus' name, amen. amen.
Hi, Preston. Y'all hey. got this from Target. <laughs> I don't do the shopping. You want some water? Yeah, that's Target. That's ain't this. <laughs> it was discounted, whatever it was. Thanks for coming out. Hi, Preston. How you doing? Yeah, good. I'm all right. Your hair got tired. grayer. Huh? Your hair got grayer. You stressed out. Yeah. Well, uh, you know. <laughs> it's stressful out here in these I didn't have gray hair to like five years ago. Okay. I'm only 24, you know? Oh, wow. Yeah, you deal with sexuality and stuff. It I mean, takes a toll. Not that you know anything about that. Um, <laughs> you've been outspoken about the gospel, about sexuality. In, in, not just, it's one thing to like go into a setting where everybody already agrees with you and you say things that they agree with, but you've been in, you've been on pub, like secular college campuses, you've been in all spaces and you're you wherever you go. You right. probably get a lot of criticism. Mm-hmm. I, I, my, here's my question. How do you handle that? And my, my, my motivation is I know there's, there's people here who may have friends, relatives, or maybe pastors of churches. They're like, man, if I engage this conversation, it's going to not go. Some people are going to be pretty upset. How do you handle that? And I want that your, your response to maybe be a motivation or challenge to people who are working through that. Um, it's unavoidable. That's one. Um, you know, the gospel is offensive to those who are perishing. Um, it's, a, it's a hard word to tell a person that they can't do whatever they want. Um, no matter how real and true and um, authentic and unrelenting the affection is, that God is still calling you to lay it down. Mm-hmm. Uh, that, that doesn't make sense here in the world. And so I recognize the sound of it and I recognize the spiritual aspect of it. And so that means that I don't go into a place expecting people to applaud it. That's just a false expectation to have. Mm-hmm. If anything, my job is to not add offense to what is already offensive. Mm-hmm. And so I want to share the message in a way that dignifies the person I'm speaking to, while at the same time drawing them towards the God who's calling him, mm-hmm. them to himself. So that's that. But also some of it is personality. You know, like I just don't be caring like that. <laughs> <laughs> And that's not to say I'm not a coward because it's the, it's the craziest thing. I could, like, if somebody jumps in front of me at Starbucks, I get so much anxiety, I'm gonna just let them slide. Like, it's just like, you could just take that. Like, I just, that makes me anxious. But when it comes to talking about the Bible, it's just like, I'm over here like, yeah, kill me, I don't care. Um, so I guess the encouragement would be is one, you have to believe that the Bible is true. If you don't believe that the Bible is true, you will become a coward when you are challenged because of the Bible. Um, And I think we're moving towards a time in history where it will be increasingly hard. It is hard, but it's not hard enough. It'll be increasingly hard to commit yourself to a certain sexual ethic. That's just that's just that's just like you you might as well curse everybody out. And then, you know, what I'm saying like you just the Bible has to be true or it isn't. Mm -hmm. I also think that begging God for courage I've always been so impressed by the early church, how in Acts, it says like when, you know, they were talking about they can't say Jesus name and all that. They're like, no, nah, we can't do that. We're going to have to talk about God. This is paraphrasing. This is the JHP version. Um, <laughs> and how they sat together in a house and prayed for courage. And they said the house shook and then they went out and spoke the word of God boldly. And so some of, the, some of it is we just need to pray. Hmm. You know, mm-hmm. conferences are great. Mm-hmm. Podcasts are wonderful. No shade. But we need the Holy Ghost. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. Is there a common criticism you, you feel like you get more than others? Or is it just kind of depends on the context? Or? Yeah, because, I mean, on one side, there's people who are 
so convinced that I believe in gay conversion therapy. <laughs> it's just like <laughs> I've heard that. I've heard people say that. You literally yeah. never listen to me. <laughs> like you know, like it, it's just the craziest thing. So there's it's a it's a it's an ignorant criticism. Yeah, that's not to shade them. It's to say you haven't done your research. Yeah. So that's that. I think from the church, I don't know. They might think I dignify the gay community too much. Okay. I've seen yeah. that where it's just like you just need to call them sinners. It's like, but people are people. Yeah. They're human beings. And that's why y'all ain't making no disciples because you're mean. <laughs> when, okay, so you're, you, I'm still convinced you're, you're still human though. <laughs> like when, when you, there's gotta be like a criticism, something, maybe social media or something where you're like, oh man, I, that just, that really hit, that cut me. Like I, I'm, I'm not, happy right now um what, what do you what do you do in that moment if you do if you do in fact experience that from time to time you had one last week on twitter like you, you, like you, you blew it up on twitter up. last week you're trying to set me up yeah. you know what you're doing i wasn't gonna go there i wasn't but that's an example you know of like i slick. mean people can be ruthless yeah so what Preston is trying to set me up for is that <laughs> <laughs> last week i posted a picture of judge uh jackson brown or is it brown jackson uh who uh she's being confirmed for like the Supreme Court or something. And there was a picture of her at the like committee thing or whatever. And her daughter's behind her smiling. And I was just like, oh my God. Like I, that, it just, I have three daughters. So when I saw the picture, I was like, I want my daughters to be proud of me in the same way. Mm -hmm. So I put it on Twitter and I put a move. That's it. That's it. When I say (laughs) the saints, maybe, I think they ain't honestly, but the saints. Got so mad because they saw me posting that picture as affirmation of all of her policies. And that I, you know, I believed in abortion and it became about trans activism. And I'm like, I I just put a mood and y'all seeing everything in it that's not there. And so that hurt me. Why? Because it hurts me when the church does not act like the church. I expect the world to act like the world. So that 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 was hard because it was like y'all are like literally slandering and maligning me. Like people were saying I was an unbeliever, that I need to repent, that I'm wicked. You know, you got this girl at your church. She went into your church. This one chick was like, uh, people have been warning me about you. And it's just like, wow, yeah, yeah. y'all are so intense over a picture. <laughs> a mood. Yeah. Five, so five letters. That, a mood. That, yeah. That's when it hurts, when the church doesn't act like Jesus. I love it. He posted it. I'm like, all right, let's see how this goes. <laughs> I really didn't win. expect that. Yeah. I, I really, but they, they finna get all of me now. It's like, oh, yeah. I'm finna be real black on y'all. Cause obviously <laughs> y'all must've thought I'm somebody else. So. so my Twitter policy is I assume everybody is a Russian bot until they prove themselves <laughs> to be human by using human dignifying speech. So if it, they don't prove, give evidence that they're actually human behind the account, then it's just, it's a robot. It's just okay. A you know how I. So a lot know, of bots were on there. I will go in there, uh, in the like the Twitter bio, mm-hmm. and it'll say like Theo Bros, and that's how I know. <laughs> it's like the sixteen nineteen cats, where it's like y'all are just real intense because okay. of reformed theology. I'm gonna get it. You'll do it again next week, though, right? You'll, Probably. Yeah. Um, when you look at the church and how, and that's such a big term, but I'm gonna I'm gonna keep it there. Um, and how the church is handling the LGBTQ conversation handling the sense of its, its theological analysis and its posture and how it's going about the conversation. 
Are you encouraged, discouraged, or somewhere in between? I, I think I'm more encouraged than discouraged. Even this conference says a lot, you know, that people, they really are curious. Um, and I think curiosity is what helps us love, honestly. And so I think I am deeply encouraged that people just want to know what does the Bible say and how do I love my neighbor well in light of it? Um, I think if I was discouraged, it would actually be seeing the pendulum swing really hard in another direction and wondering how do we help people to adjust. So what I mean is, you know, when someone in your family comes out, there's this desire to love them well to the point of full affirmation of everything. Mm -hmm. Right. And so if I'm discouraged, it's seeing a lot of that where it's like needing some type of pastoral wisdom to say, no, you can love yet. You know, like, like, let's come back. Oh, not all the way over here where you're crazy, but not all the way over here where you're unbiblical. And so that's probably okay. it. You've been engaging this topic. I mean, 10, 12 years as a Christian hmm. um, for a while. Have you? I, obviously, your, your theological commitments haven't changed. You've gotten stronger. Have you shifted in any more maybe second, lack of a better term, secondary issue within the conversation? Like, <laughs> what, what do you say now that you wouldn't have said eight years ago or, or vice, vice versa? I'm still processing, so the language isn't as cute. I think the side B conversation, I, it's not a hill I would die on. Can you explain what that is for people that don't? So like those who would identify as a gay Christian, but still affirm a traditional sexual ethic, mm -hmm. I wouldn't go so hard mm -hmm. on the, that kind of decision. Mm -hmm. uh, and I haven't fully even processed why. I just think I've had a lot of conversations with people that haven't shifted me theologically, but have helped me to think um, wisely mm -hmm. and what helps to build relationships with people. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't want to. I don't want to break a bridge over something unnecessary, mm -hmm. and so I still have my convictions personally, mm -hmm. um, but it's not something that I feel the need to like yell or argue. For. Uh, so why? Yeah, you, you don't describe yourself as right. gay. You would still say you uh, experience same-sex right. attraction and temptation, whatever. So yeah, I'm just curious personally, why don't you use the term gay to describe yourself? Or is there certain contexts where you might use that term? No. Okay. So one one interesting, and we talked about this, one interesting thing, I had a panel with Sam Alberry and yeah. uh, Rebecca McLaughlin, I think yeah. is her name. And she brought up the fact that it seems like Christians who, you know, have same gender attractions that kind of were in the closet and never fully acted out on them, they are more prone to call themselves gay Christian really as an acknowledgement of themselves mm -hmm. where somebody like me who was out here, you know, I was wearing, you know, rainbow five days a week at the gay pride parades, <laughs> you know, I, had, I was, I was gay, 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 gay. <laughs> Is that the title of your next book? <laughs> like where, when I became a Christian, it was a harder break from that, where it's like, no, I'm a new person. And so I do think that's a part of it, okay. potentially. Yeah. And so I, I, I think for me, it can feel, it can, it's, it can create a confusion about who I believe myself mm -hmm. to be that I don't feel the need to navigate. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's kind of where I am. All right, some questions from the audience. You ready for these? Sure. Yeah, why not? 
For Jackie Hill Perry or the sexuality panel, Jackie Hill Perry, um, how do you respond to the idea that LGBT people are born this way? Are all sexual orientations created by God? That was a pressing question. <laughs> uh, they said for Jackie Hill Perry. Got it. <laughs> I, I, th- I think we. I think first off, we are image bearers, right? So we're we're made in the image of. God, which also makes us very complex and complicated. We're born with feelings, we're born with affections, we're born with desires, and then because we're born after Adam, I believe that that orientates us towards sinfulness. Um, so if, any, if, if we want to talk about any orientation, I think it would be the orientation towards wickedness um, and how that kind of colors the way we feel. As far as orientation, it's just not, I, I, I don't like the idea of orientation because it's so new, you know? Like the thing was like created in like the 1800s. And I don't like how it, it frames our personhood where like you are gay and you are straight instead of you being human with a variety of different ways to feel. Um, and so I, I guess that would be my argument is that we're born in the image of God, made for him, from him, but because of sin, our affections are affected, and therefore we need to be born again so that we are empowered to always choose God despite how we feel. Why'd you want me to answer that? Because <laughs> you would have brought all the scholarship and cited so- <laughs> sources. <laughs> I think the science and the Bible both agree Yeah, they <laughs> agree with what you said. Um, next question. Uh, why do we push marriage when the Bible and Christian history are filled with people who are single? How can we better create a space for uh, aces, asexuals, and same-sex attracted Christians? I'm assuming those, using those two categories as people who are going to be lifelong single, maybe. Yeah. I don't know, because I wonder how much of this is a cultural problem. Mm-hmm. You know, especially like being honest, like (laughs) white conservative people. (laughs) (laughs) Have had a lot of influence on everything. And so I'm I'm more so asking because I don't know. I, I wonder if that's a part of it is that, you know, the nuclear family was such a thing that now it's being imposed on everyone as if that's everyone's call and everyone's reality. Uh, but there's also a, a level of self-righteousness within it because I think we have this, we're really addicted to feeling better than someone who's not in the season we're in. And so I just wonder if that's also, that was a good word, wasn't it? I, 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 <laughs> I, I feel like that's at play is that you want to impose your life on an individual that you don't own nor mm. created. Uh, so, but I do think it's unhelpful. I, mm-hmm. I, I think anytime you make somebody feel like the season that God has placed them in is not the season they belong, you make it harder for them to have joy in it. Mm-hmm. And I, I just, that feels mildly demonic. I'm not saying people are demon possessed. I am saying <laughs> <laughs> that you want, you want to help people run the race, not hinder. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so. that's good. I mean, the, the New Testament is you, it's one of the most unique religious documents in all of history in the way it elevates singleness. Mm-hmm. Not, a, I don't think, above marriage, not that marriage is bad. Marriage is, you know, Paul's like, 
it's not wrong to get married, right. you know, but if you really want to experience life to the fullest, you know, yeah. the single life is where it's at. Like that, that in all, as far as I know, in all of re- religion, like that's, <laughs> that's really shocking yeah. that we serve a savior of marital age, huh. single savior of marital age. And people were like, yeah, but he was sinless. I'm like, follow that logic. So <laughs> you think marriage is just intrinsically sinful? Well, no. Mm-hmm. Like, okay, we'll work that out. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, I think there's, I think there's something intentional about Jesus being a single man of marital age. I think he's challenging a certain paradigm. That's real talk. So, yeah. yeah I, I think it's, it's really deep to me how we all really will be single in heaven, mm-hmm. but married to the yeah. lamb. Yeah. And so, mm-hmm. yeah. Good. What are some practical ways we can normalize speaking frankly and lovingly about gender and sexuality within our churches? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I don't. Our next question. <laughs> I, I mean, I really, you think you get a punt? <laughs> I don't know. Because <laughs> that's super pastoral. I think you, you, you would be good at that. I'm not a pastor. Branch, you know what you said earlier. I mean, if you believe what the Bible says is true, you know, kindness of God, um, my marriage is defined a certain way. Like just weave that into the fabric of your conversations. What I, what I can say as a matter of fact is that questions about faith, sexuality, and gender have become the most pressing, some of the most pressing ethical questions facing the church today. So it would be pastorally irresponsible to be silent on it. In 2022, like maybe in like, 1922, okay, but like 2022, when everybody has questions on their mind, we have, a, we have a whole generation, Gen Z, that's about to flee the church because we've not having this conversation and, and not having it well. So would you agree? I mean, I, I don't know how else to say it. I think that's it's pastorally great. irresponsible to not address Wonderful. <laughs> how to do that is more difficult. Um, LGBTQ married couple with kids. Uh, find the church now. Uh, oh, Oh, okay. So you, you, um, uh, there's a word limit on this so that they're, they're being concise. <laughs> so you have a, you have a uh, let's just say a, a same-sex married couple. They have kids. They find a church. Uh, now what should they do? Um, do they divorce? What about the kids? Um, do they remain married? <laughs> what? I don't know. <laughs> so they go to a church. They have a child. The question is, do they break up? Let, let me say this. Let's just say they had a conversion experience. Uh-huh. Um, and let's assume that that's, you know, genuine. They, they came to Jesus. They want to be baptized. But same-sex married couple, they have kids, and they're so excited to start following Jesus. And they come to the church, and the leaders say, all right, what do we do now? Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's a lot right there. Um, <laughs> especially because a child is involved. Yeah. You know, uh, gay marriage or not, you know, breaking up a unit mm-hmm. hurts mm-hmm. and has consequences. And so if I had to assume, I'm, I'm kind of relating to conversations that I've had with people that have been in scenarios such as that. Um, a couple of women I've talked to who had to, after converting, you know, divorcing their spouse legally, um, they just said that it's just something they had to do. It really wasn't like a complicated thing. I think the difference was the pastor, how he pastored them through it, because I, I think it's unhealthy to say, 
okay, because y'all repented, separate ways without, you know, making sure that their finances are straight and that they have some place to live and, and, and figuring out what, how, how will, you know, uh, what's the word when you're taking care of a child? Custody. Hmm. How custody and things will, I just had a baby, so I can't think right. Um, <laughs> how custody, like making sure that they're not just their spiritual is good, but they are good. I, I think that's a really important part of it. And so I, I, I don't know. That's good. Again. Yeah. <laughs> okay, here's, a, here's one that I'm sure you've had to wrestle with. I, I get it a lot. Um, why is gay marriage wrong, practically? What does the, or why does the Bible say no to gay marriage? So, like, what's the moral rationale for saying two people of the same sex, love each other, not hurting anybody, don't even have sex till they get married, love Jesus, whatever, and, and like, why is that wrong? I mean, the simplest, simplest answer seems to be because it's not, how God designed marriage to function. Um, Cause I, I think it's, it, I think we always have to be reminded that humans did not create marriage, nor was marriage created after the fall. Mm -hmm. That it, 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 like God did the thing in Genesis one and two, and that this thing points to the gospel, mm -hmm. which makes marriage a very important metaphor that you don't want to mess up. Mm -hmm. And so I, I, that seems to be the answer is that, because God said so, which we don't like, but we also need to get used to the fact that that's kind of the thing. Yeah. Is but that even God, the, he's Lord and the, King. The gods, when people say, what is it? Just God said so. And it's kind of like the, the assumption behind that pushback or that, you know, question is it's just arbitrary. But what you said is not, God did say so, but it's also woven into the fabric of the very fundamental creation account that in creation, you have lots of diversity and differences singing together in harmony. And yeah. at the climax of that beautiful passage, you have male or humanity created in his image as male and female, woven into the fabric of the creation account. And those, that sex difference means something. Yeah. And, that on, and that forms the one flesh union. A one flesh union that we now call marriage, it, sex difference is built into the very meaning of what that is, woven into the fabric of creation. And as you said, all throughout scripture, that yeah. difference... Is, is intrinsic to the very metaphor that plays a, an essential role to the I, whole. I can tell you've studied this. I, I think. I just so, got it from N.T. Wright. Yeah. So. <laughs> Since we're here, though, I have a question for you. Uh, I, no, I, 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 I'm I not do. answering. So listen, I feel, like, I feel like a question to that question that follows is always, okay, what about attending a gay wedding? Okay, yeah. You know um, the people want to know that. Attending a gay wedding, yes. Yeah, so uh, my opinion is um, I start with the fact that I think attending is a gray area. Like I don't have a verse to say it's sin or to go or it's sin not to go. Um, I always ask the question, what does your attendance, what would your attendance signify? Would it signify that you 100% agree with the wedding itself? If it would do that, then that, that's going to miss, that's not, you don't want to communicate something you don't believe in. But if it would simply c communicate to the people getting married, like if they're like a gay couple that invited you, let's just say they know what you believe and they see you there and the, the, what's being signified is like, wow, I know you don't agree with this, but you obviously love me enough as a person to be here because you know it's, it's, it's something that means something to me. I think if that is what's going on, again, gray area, if you're like, you know what, that would still sear my conscience, then I'm not going to tell someone to go. 
but if that's what's being communicated, I think that can be a beautiful thing and, and for maintaining uh, relationships. So. I like what that. What do you think? Is that, am I right or no? No, I like it. Okay. Yeah. yeah, people have asked me that. And I'm like, first of all, I got a book about this. Nobody's going to invite me to their wedding. That's just... <laughs> <laughs> nobody is going to send Jackie O'Berry an invite. So it's just not, a, it's not an issue I have to deal with. <laughs> okay, here, here's the... Okay, this, this one is is close to my heart. I get this a lot, and I'm sure you do too. What advice do you have for parents of a gay son or daughter uh, generally, and specifically around, well, around weddings? So this is, I guess, a similar um, question. So may maybe just, uh, how would you want, let's just say you were raised in a Christian household when you were, when you realized you were attracted to the same sex. What advice would you give to your not your specific parents, but to a parent with you as a child. Well, how to like walk with me through yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I needed a lot. Um, one, I think I wasn't raised in a Christian home. And so I do think that's a part of it, even though some of the Christian homes have been more damaging, sadly. I'll say what I, I will do with my children. One, I don't have the expectation that my children won't struggle with their sexuality because of the world that we're in you know, and the body that they live in. They are human and they are sinful and therefore temptations are a reality. And one thing that I realized when I was uh, kind of going to college campuses is that these kids were never given a framework for how to deal with temptation. It's such a simple thing, but it, 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 it jacks them up when they feel a way towards a thing or a person and it's like, oh, is this who I am now? What do I do with this? Oh, I must submit to it. Da, da, da. It's like this wrestle when simple wisdom would have been to already help them think through that when they was two, having a, 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 a temper tantrum. Yes, you feel angry. Does not mean you have to behave in an angry way. That's a really small way to start to train my toddler and then my child and then my teenager to know, yes, recognize how you feel. Don't like don't act like it ain't there, but you have to make the decision and the choice to trust that a better way is available. And so I, I, that's probably one thing that they need is just some real solid theology and practice and wisdom about how to handle temptation. That's good. That's good. Good, good. All right, this is from uh, Riley, who's in the cry room with her three-month-year-old kid. <laughs> How old is your kid? Three. How many of them? The left. The, the, I have a seven-year-old, a three-year-old, a one-year-old, and a three-month-old. Three months, so. Yeah. We've been busy. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> Sexuality in the gospel. <laughs> <laughs> and no gray hair. Um, as a new mom, I wonder what conversations around LGBTQ plus will be like with my child. How do you approach this conversation with your kids? I mean, do you, have you started talking about this with your oldest? You know what's crazy? So, you know, I'm like 90% charismatic. And so I, <laughs> I have a lot of dreams and the dreams, you know, are usually the Lord kind of giving me a sense of warning or a reminder of something. And I keep having these dreams of me talking to my daughter about sexuality, where it feels like the Lord is like, it's time mm -hmm. to have that conversation. And I'm not fearful. I'm just anxious because kids, they don't, they don't like stay like you could say, you know, water is red. And then they like, why is it red? What is red? Is water shaky? Why is it slimy? Can I get in some water? Where's that? <laughs> like, I, so I know she's just going to like do the most. And I just, I just kind of want to say, this and that's it but 
One thing I learned from uh, Jen Wilkin that has really helped my framework is not starting with what's wrong, but starting with what's original. Mm. And so uh, one thing we've already been doing is just teaching her Genesis 1 and 2. Mm. This is God. God made man for his glory, woman and man. He put them together for his good, blah, 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 blah. And so that when we do get to Genesis 3, she has context already that Genesis 3 is a perversion of Genesis 1 and 2. Does it make sense? And so I think the way I'm going to approach it, because I actually think I'm going to do it uh, on Tuesday. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not even playing. Like, I've been thinking about what that. Um, I think I'm going to approach it by walking through Genesis 1 and 2 with her since she's already familiar with that passage. And then moving to the fact that there we live in a world and a reality where this is not the norm. Good. I I can't wait for you to address this next question. (laughs) They They can see it. You can't see it. Uh, LGBTQ affirming churches seem to come from white egalitarians rather than from non-white egalitarians or white complementarians. Why do you think this is? Say that one more time. Okay, okay. (laughs) Churches that are affirming, Uh LGBTQ affirming, seem to be white, mainly white egalitarian type churches, not uh, non-white. That is fascinating. I don't know, but can you answer it? That's a really fascinating question. Because what I thought about also is how in the black community, you don't see that many affirming churches. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which is always ironic if we wanted to talk about politics. How, you know, how cats will shade the black community for being heavily de- democratic, when they have, democratic when they have always been heavily conservative. And so I think that's interesting yeah. to think about. I, the, the why, I don't... Um, I mean, when I talk to like uh, African like pastors in Africa... Mm-hmm. They see, uh, and this is just me relaying their message to us all. I mean, they do say, and I've been s- several conversations, like, you know, we've already been colonized again, wow. colonized before. We don't need to be recolonized with your Western white sexual ethic is how they see it. So I, I don't, why? I, I don't know why. I don't know why that is. But um, it's interesting because affirming, and, and I, I, I'm trying, because there's people here who are affirming, I, I'm not, I'm just thinking out loud here. Like, uh, it is most affirming churches would be very, very on a certain side of like racial conversations mm, and social true. justice, and and really um, eager to elevate and platform you know racial minorities. And I think there can be a tension with mm. that a sexual ethic that for many minority churches um, it does, that 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 doesn't really gel well. I think know? that's it. Um, because this conversation is very much a justice conversation. Mm. Because if you if you talk to somebody on a university and they ask the question of why can't I be with who I love, they're act underneath that is it is not right, mm-hmm. righteous, or just for me to not love who I love. And so I think that is interesting how mm-hmm. if you have a emphasis, a right emphasis on justice, how that can kind of move mm. into a different emphasis on sexuality. Mm. You said it. You're so good at this. Jackie Hill agreed with me. I'm so excited. <laughs> oh my whatever, whatever I get like a boost in like Instagram followers, I know she, she mentioned my name somewhere. <laughs> and I always say, how do I get like 2,000 followers? Like, oh, but Jackie. then I got to explain you, Preston. <laughs> Did I tell you how I had to take up for you? No. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so 
I tag Preston all the time because I told you he's the top five. And so I tagged your book, Embodied. And then this lady went to your page and she was like, why are you tagging this person when he has gay people coming out on his page? And I was like, huh? And so I went to the page to see what she was saying. First of all, it was like 20 weeks ago. So I was like, she really like did a deep dive (laughs) (laughs) of this dude. But it was just a podcast you had talking about the coming out experience. And she interpreted that as you being affirming. Oh, yeah. and no, because he identifies yeah. as a gay Christian. So then I had to have a yeah. whole conversation about side A and side B. And, and I was like, I'm doing yeah. too much. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I just wanted you to yeah. buy the book. Uh, <laughs> just that's just the, my Tuesday. That's, that's, that's yeah. Okay, one, one more question. One more question. This is a really good one. Um, as a uh, same-sex attracted Christian woman with a child who feels same-sex attracted, I'm afraid for myself and my kid. What if someone at church found out how can we move through this fear? Found out what? That they're same-sex attracted, um, that the mom and the child. Interesting. I guess I don't know the question. <laughs> because the question is that it is a secret that both yeah. Yeah. got it. So it might, I'm not sure, it's not, I'm not sure um, if it's um, the mom might be out and the child's not, or maybe both of them are not out and they're... simply being same-sex attracted might not go well in the church. I mean, if you were in some churches and... Would they not know how to handle, no matter how gospel-centered you are, simply being same-sex attracted, would that cause waves in some churches? Potentially, but I I do feel like it's an an imbalance where if this person was male, the fear is much more uh, palpable Mm. because I, I think the church is, I don't know, they're so much more afraid of men who have same gender attractions than they are of women, which is just not right. Yeah. I'm gonna. This is gonna sound real Christian, and then I'm back it up with something else. <laughs> Don't fear those who can kill the body. Fear him who can throw both body and soul into hell. Mm-hmm. What is the point? I'm simply saying the most they can do is take your body, but they have no rights over your soul. And so I think that kind of alleviates some of the anxiety. I think on the other side. Here's an opportunity to model transparency and vulnerability rooted in your faith in the God that sees you for who you are. Mm-hmm. The church needs people to be honest. And if, you, if, they, if they got something to say and if they got something to do, pray about it because it might not be the church for you anyway. Mm-hmm. And so that's what I would say. Don't, don't fear these crazy people. <laughs> people are crazy. You know that Preston? I've met a couple. I've met a couple <laughs> crazy people. Can we give Jackie Hill Perry a hand for being here? This show is part of the Converge Podcast Network.